All right, book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible, well, you can now. We have these free Bibles for you. If you don't own one, please raise your hand. We would love to give this to you so you can follow along with us today. Don't be weird. Don't feel weird. You can be weird. Don't feel weird. We do this every week, okay? And so anyone, hands in the air for your Bible, follow along, turn to Acts chapter 15. Now let me give you a brief snapshot of where we've been. And mostly because if in a narrative context like we are here uh, in the book of Acts, you can't really know what's going on without knowing where we're coming from. And so the book of Acts is the story of God commissioning the early church to bring the good news to the entire world. Now, when we say good news, we mean gospel. When we say gospel, we mean the fact that there was a man who was God in the flesh named Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life that no one in humanity could ever live. He died the death that we deserve to die as penalty for our sin. He rose on the third day in the resurrection to proclaim new life to all who would repent and believe in him. Okay, so when we say gospel, that's what we mean. So Jesus says, go take this gospel story to the world, and he rounds up some people to do that. Now, here's what's amazing. Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm just going to do it because I'm God, and I'm going to snap my finger or speak faith into existence in everyone in the world, but instead he calls together a people for his good pleasure, for his glory, and for his mission. And guess what? Today, if you're here and you're a Christian, you are a fulfillment of that calling. That God, all the way back 2,000 years ago-ish, right, said, I want this gospel to go forth. And so I'm not just going to do it by myself. I'm not just going to appear in different places. In fact, I am going to raise up people who will bring my gospel to the world. And that's what the church is. The church is a people meant to bring this truth, this goodness, this good news about Christ, his death and resurrection to the world. Okay. Well, we pick up today, and let me be honest, okay, Normally what happens, usually around Wednesday afternoon or Thursday, and this is, I start prepping kind of for the text of the sermon about three to four weeks in advance, start looking at the text, but usually it's like week of, on the Wednesday or Thursday before the Sunday we'll preach that text, usually the Holy Spirit will, will just say like, hey, this, this is kind of the lane I want you to go. Like, I, I feel really good about it, we're concrete, like this is the main idea, these are the sub points, and the world will be changed. Vince, way to go, right? Like, that, that usually kind of happens. And it just didn't happen this week. Like, and I, and I was pouring over the text and hoping, like, God, like, where, this just feels... Like, I don't know where you really want me to go with this. And, and I even prayed and told a couple of guys this morning, that's kind of where my heart was at. And I woke up this morning, and there were a couple things, but even in the midst of that, still just trying to navigate, Lord, what do you have for our church this morning? And so um, all that to say is, is if the sermon uh, isn't any good, that's really on the Lord, okay? So, because um, <laughs> he didn't... Uh, no, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, listen, I'm trusting God that as we pull stuff out of this, that he will do the work. And the reality is, is that's the truth every single week, regardless of what I know, okay? Is that we have to trust that God, the Spirit in his power, wants to transform those who are his into his image, and so he will do the work necessary. That there are those here that, that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and guess what? Like, he's going to do the work whether or not you want to force him or try and get him not to, he's going to do the work in your heart that faith would come along as well. And so we're praying those things for us this morning. We're trusting God to do those things. And let's see what happens, okay? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. Now, one of my initial contentions with, with what we've been doing in Acts 
was that there's so many parts of the text that are just really long narratives. So we've done, like last week, we did all of chapter 14. The week before, we did, I think, half of 12 and all of 13. And there's these huge portions of scripture because they tie together as narrative, but oftentimes they give you kind of the same themes over and over. And so then I feel this tension of like, well, I need to be creative and and preach something new. And and again, all of that is not what we're looking for. And, And right before I get up here, I'm praying in the back, don't say something stupid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I felt like God was like, look, man, it, it doesn't have to be profound. It just has to be true. Okay? And so hopefully what we open up today, listen, it's not going to hopefully be brand new for too many of us in the room that have been walking with Christ. Hopefully it's brand new for some, and I pray that it unlocks parts of your heart that haven't been given over to the Lord. Uh, but I think it's going to be true, and, and I think that's probably the best thing for us. So what I'm hoping we understand from this text is that therein lies this church that is uh, united around these three things, and they're only united around it because of one reason. What they're united around is, being a, is having a united mission for all people by a gospel-centered church. Okay, so I think when we read the book of Acts, we see uh, people who are united on mission for all people uh, and being gospel-centered. But all of that, I think, revolves and rotates around one truth, and it's sola fide for you people who like those fun terms, right? In other words, it's, it's all about faith alone in Christ alone. Like, like every, every one of those hinges on faith alone in Christ alone. We cannot be united unless we believe this truth, okay? And, and we'll break down why, okay? The, the gospel cannot be for all people unless we believe faith alone in Christ alone. And we cannot live in Christ-centered obedience unless it's faith alone in Christ alone. And, and that's where I think we're headed. So let's open to verse 1. The church is going to do something that uh, is going to contradict this very important truth. Verse 1 says this, But some men came down from Judea, and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done. With them, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so what we have here is we've just had, if you were with us last week, there was this just great testimony and, and, the, and people were getting saved and they come back and they're sharing this good news, declaring all that God has done, not just in the Israelites but amongst the Gentiles. It seems like the next progression should be celebration and rejoicing and joy and happiness But instead, there are some who then come in and say, but wait a minute, were they ever circumcised? See, see what they've done is they said they've heard this gospel, but but have they done this extra other thing that really brings them in? Now, for those of you who are maybe a little newer to the church or a little unfamiliar about why circumcision would be the thing to go to, let's explain, okay? So if you go to the Old Testament, God was, was, was calling a people together. And one of the markers for calling that people together was going to be circumcision, okay? I don't know why he chose that, but that's what he chose. And so he tells Abraham, Abraham, like, a mark of being a person of God, one of Yahweh's chosen elect people would be circumcision. And that will be the mark that people will know, along with some other things. 
And so that's where it's coming from is this Old Testament reality where you have these Jewish conservative converts. So when it's this group of people from the Pharisees, these were converts to Christianity that were still holding tightly and fastly to the Old Testament law. So Jesus was great. We love Jesus. We're all about Jesus. But let's also do some other stuff to maintain our good stature, to prove to God, to prove to man, whatever it may be. And they still lived in this tension of, yeah, Jesus plus this other stuff. Okay. But Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. We talked about that just a handful of weeks ago. But Jesus plus anything else, any work, anything you want to bring to the table, listen, that's not what the gospel preaches. The gospel is faith alone and Christ alone because of what he did, not because of what we do. This is, this, is, this is good news for us, okay? I had a, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, going back to 1997, I think, uh, I'm playing soccer, on the, I make JV, right? Really excited, and then at the end of season, when varsity made playoffs, go to CIF playoffs, they can call up some of the JV team as like re- reserves and stuff. And so, fortunately, uh, I get called up, okay? I used to be significantly thinner, okay? And so um, I get called up to go play for varsity during, during the kind of the state finals and all that kind of stuff. And it was funny because the coach is the one who makes that decision, right? This isn't player voted. It's nothing like that. The coach is like, okay, I want this guy, this guy, and this guy. And so they call us up. Vince, hey, we'd love you to come up. I said, great. I'm on the team. I'm playing varsity in CIF. Now I show up to the first practice, okay? And then the team kind of rallies around the three of us who've been called up from JV and they say, hey, not so fast. Not so fast, young blood. Okay? There's some things that you have to do before you're technically varsity. And I said, well, what's that? And there began a week long, a different test every single week that after seven days, I would then become a member of the varsity team. Now, I cannot literally share with you all of the things that were required in that week, okay? Not from here. You want to go get lunch? Then we'll do it, okay? But a lot of it was, was there were some physical tests, there were some emotional tests, there were some inappropriate tests, there were all of these things that said, all right, Vince, hey, I know that the coach, the one who's made the decision, has put you on the team. Like, you are a varsity soccer team member, but not in our eyes, because you need to do some other stuff as well. So this is what's happening here in the early church, is, is God has, because if they... And Peter is going to talk about this in just a moment. He's, he's going to tell them, don't you see what God has done amongst the Gentile people? That his spirit has fallen upon them? That, that they have testified, that they have seen the movement of God, that God has saved them in faith alone? Haven't you recognized this? So if God's already called it, why are you adding things to it? Why are you trying to get them to be circumcised or be attained or, uh, you know, appro- what's, the th- what's the word I'm looking for? Approved by Old Testament law. So they're going to work through this, and I would say that the only way that the church can truly be united in mission is if they truly believe that the gospel is in faith alone and Christ alone. Because if it is in other stuff, if the gospel can be based in, well, yeah, let's add in some other things, then listen, there are many things we should divide over here in this room. Because, listen, if, if it's about this chart of what we can achieve here at a church and that we're better than the church down the street, right, that we're preaching a better gospel here that right, goes beyond in Christ, then surely let's divide. Because why, why spend our time engaging with those who are over there that aren't doing it as well as we are? 
Now, that's at a corporate macro level, but, but on the individual level, I think we do this all the time. We have our, our little cliques, and we have our little spiritual like huddles. Like This is what real faith looks like over here, and it's not based in justification by faith alone. It's based in, well, our group does it right, and yours doesn't because you leave this stuff off. And that's just foolishness. If the church is truly to be united, and I, I would just gander to say that the reason why it is not as united as it should, because I don't know if we believe the gospel all that much, or if we believe that it's truly just Jesus that justifies us. Like, I mean, just Jesus, not your ability to debate in a theological context and prove a point. Not in your ability to win an argument with your spouse, okay? Not, not in your ability to insert anything there gives you anything of merit. The gospel is clear that the only thing that gives us goodness, gives us access to God, gives us hope and can breed unity in the church is the fact that it's only Jesus that justifies. Okay, this is important. Let's keep going. Verse 6, they're going to show up to what's called the Jerusalem Council. So the elders and, and all these people are going to gather, right? And they're going to talk about this thing. Verse 6, the apostles and el elders were gathered together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, and they related what signs and wonders God had done among them and the Gentiles. Okay. So, so again, this is Peter now, right? Like father of the church, right? The cornerstone. This, this guy, so he steps up to kind of step in line and say, well, no, no, here's what we saw God do. Like we, we saw God do the same work he's done in, in the lives of Jews. He's done in the lives of Gentiles. And, and if it's God who's doing it, then, then, then clearly like we need not add anything else. Now, if you think it's you that's doing it, then I, then I guess that's different. So then maybe we need to do what you do. But no, he's, no, God has moved amongst the Gentile people. He saved other people. Bring it in our context. Listen, you're, everyone around the room, okay, that knows Jesus in here, they've got a different story from you, okay? They just do. Like, they were saved differently than you were saved. God drew them in differently than he drew you in. But the only truth across every single Christian in the room is it had nothing to do with you. Okay? That, that God came in and he got you. You didn't go get him. That's the beauty of Christianity. We say it here often, but there is another religion in the world that preaches that reality. Every single other one's going to tell you, man, work your way up to God. You can achieve enough to get to him. It's the, every other religion, the only one that says, no, man, you can't do it. God had to come down to us. His Christianity is Jesus is the way. So, so Peter's like, listen up, guys, like, don't you see? God, God works in all people. Now, this, again, becomes my contention that we cannot be the church that we're called to be, not just here at Redemption, but across our state and our world, if we don't believe that it's just faith alone and Christ alone, that our justification is there. It cannot be a gospel for all people if we believe otherwise. 
It just can't. Like, it's a gospel for those that select few who can achieve enough, right? Or for those who are positioned even in a place to achieve enough. And let's be honest, some of us have been placed in, in certain areas and, and, and into certain homes where you had a better chance than others. Like, I know some amazing parents in the room that have pointed their kids since day one to, to Jesus. And then I know my situation where I had parents who didn't do any of that because they themselves weren't believers. Now, if the gospel was based on what I could achieve out of that, man, I'm already, I'm already losing, Right? Because I don't have the influence in the parents that are going to come in. Because if it's based on me being able to save my son Finley because I can get him to do enough things that earns his way to God, then we're in trouble for all the families in the world that don't have the influence of Jesus constantly being told to them all the time. But God came and got me because the gospel is about his work and him coming to get us in faith alone in Christ alone and nothing else. That's what Peter's saying. God works everywhere, guys. So stop thinking it's just about the way you want to do this. Now, we're going to talk about Scripture in just a moment. But a little nugget based on the text we just saw that I think is really important is notice when they had this big issue, this is a vital issue in the church, that the, that the Gentiles could be saved without adding in Jewish customs. This is a big deal. To the point where they all gathered together in Jerusalem. At the center of the Christian church, they got the elders and the apostles and, and the disciples, and they all gathered together, and they said, okay, we need to work this out. And just as a nugget of wisdom for the church today, we need to do more of this. We need to get some people together and say, okay, well, what is true? And let's, let's pour through the scriptures and let's look at I mean, what is true and honest and good and let us hold fast to truth and then let go of some of the things that are just secondary. I love the fact that as this issue rose up and could have bred division and brokenness and honestly could have spelled the end of the church. Instead, it becomes a moment where they pursue unity together for the sake of the gospel. You know what? We disagree right now. Let's all get together and talk through this. Instead of, you know what? I disagree. I'm out of here. Which happens all the time. Okay? And and not just on spiritual matters, but on political matters. On social matters. On what you wear type of matters. Okay? We, We have these... Things And we see the church say, you know what, there's this opportunity where I think Satan might want to come in and divide up the church, divide up the mission, breed dissension. But instead, you know what we're going to do? We're going to gather together. We're going to talk. We're actually going to have a conversation. We're going to dialogue and we're going to pursue unity and truth together, not separately. I think it's just something that the church could learn and do a little more of. So they say, why are you adding to this gospel? Why do you give them an extra yoke? If you're not familiar with yoke, this, this round the oxen's neck, this giant, I, I think it's made of leather and metal, right? And would be held on top as they pull along and trudge through the harvest, okay? And so it's saying, why would you add this extra yoke upon the shoulders of the Gentiles for them to be saved? And I just honestly, I immediately as I read this, have the vision of man Finley running towards me. He's my little two-and-a-half-year-old son running towards me and me thinking, you really want to prove you love me? And slapping a yoke on his neck and seeing how he does. And so we did it, okay? And so, I'm just kidding, we didn't do it. But, but just that imagery, right, of like, all right, hey, Finn. Like if Finn's at the stop time, say, hey, hey, man, come to me. I want to be with you, I want to commune with you, I love you, I want to show my love to you, and in order to get here, you know what, let me slap a 50-pound weight over your neck. Now come, because I need you to prove it 
Now that sounds like foolishness, right? We, what, what parent is going to do that? And if you know that parent, call DCS. <laughs> The Father in heaven looks upon his creation, his children that he has made, and he's like, come, be in communion with me. Accept my love poured out on the cross. Why add anything to the fact that I've already accomplished it all for you? Because the reality is, is instead of me putting the yoke on Finn's neck and making him run here, what Jesus did is he jumped off the stage and he ran to us. All right, I'll come into your mess. I'll take the yoke that you could not, I'll put it on me, and let's walk down to the stage together. Okay. That's, that's what the gospel, and it's only in, in faith and in Christ that these realities become true. Okay, the next one, verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, and when we say Simeon, that's another way for Simon Peter. So he said, Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things, known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual morality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So now James steps up. So we've had, okay, we've had Peter, we've had Paul and Barnabas, and they're kind of the, the, in, in kind of the grand scheme of the mega church and all that. They're the, kind of the new guys on the block. And so, well, all right, Paul and Barnabas, you guys are out there, you're doing crazy things on the front lines, we're not really sure. So then Peter steps up and says, no, I can vouch for this, I've seen this. And then now James steps up. Now, James, brother of Jesus, who is now the leader and central figure of the church in Jerusalem, the center of the Christian church. And if you read Josephus and Eusebius, which most of you do, uh, when you read those guys, they'll often talk about how James was a stickler on the law. Like he, he, he was a, like a Jew among Jews. Like he was like, hey, in every case, he was trying to push the church towards a righteous obedience of the law where necessary, okay? And so this is James now standing up and saying, no, guys, listen up. Like we got it wrong. It's, it's, we, they don't need to be circumcised. We don't need to add extra things for this. It is just Jesus every time. And so he speaks up and tells them, hey, let's, Let's not add this extra thing. In fact, let's encourage them the other direction. And so they get the elders together and they, they resolve to write this letter after things have been ironed out, is my guess. And they write this letter to the Gentile churches to say, listen up, if you've heard anything different, and I say it to us even right now, church, if you've ever been told that the way to God is based on what you can prove, what you can earn, and what you can achieve about the good works that you bring to the table before God. If you've ever heard that, I was wrong. It, it, and, and this is the letter he writes. He's like, if you, anything you've heard that has contradicted the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's in him alone, and I know I keep saying it over and over, if you've heard anything different, know that that's not true. And what is true is the good news of Christ, that he did everything we could not do. Okay. 
So we get this beautiful part of this, but there's this secondary encouragement, right? The encouragement isn't just, hey, stop living in this legalistic base reality where you have to prove yourself to God for him to love you. There's an, there's an addition there. And he says, well, but also, guys, in the midst of that freedom, in the midst of that grace, there's a certain way that your life should be walked out. And then he lifts it in two different areas, should we say. The first one is he starts talking about like uh, food sacrifice to idols. He starts talking about this blood and this uncleanness. So what he's, what he's encouraging the Gentile church to do is not take their freedom as non-Jews who are not tied to ceremonial law and then flaunt it before the Jews who still feel the conviction to stay and abstain from things unclean. So he's saying, listen, love your brothers and sisters enough that just because you, we're not calling you to have to do this, don't hold, like lord that over them that they have to or that they feel convicted to or that they already have. No, no, no. This is about unity. So we encourage them. No, in, in those moments where maybe you stand, Gentile brother, before a Jewish brother, and he chooses not to or wants to abstain from unclean things per Old Testament law, then allow him that and don't flaunt your freedom before him. And when you get into different issues within our world today, we could speak in exhaustion of all the different things that come into that circle for us. Drinking becomes one that kind of rises up to the top because I think it gets talked about so much, right? That, okay, if, if you can enjoy a beer, great, right? But if your brother can't enjoy that beer because that will cause them to stumble, don't drink the beer. It's, it's just love your brother and sister enough. That you know, man, if this is going to negatively impact or affect their relationship with God and their life here, then don't do it because you care more about them than you care about yourself per love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, the second part, though, he gets into this idea of sexual immorality. Now, this, is just, this is just James coming at him and saying, hey, man, there, there's, there's some moral code to this whole Christian thing. There's some, hey, we live our lives differently than the way the culture tends to live their lives. And so all of this encouragement towards you cannot earn it, you cannot prove it, it's not about what you do, but hey, also, don't just allow that freedom, don't just allow the gospel to let you feel like sin is not a big deal. And I'll be honest, now maybe it's generational, because it seems that man, my, my older friends uh, tend to struggle more with the legalism right, tend to struggle more with, I got to earn it and prove it, and I have to have this super pious life before all people, even to the point where a lot of my adult and older friends, you hide your sin because no one can know because you have to show up looking real good. That's not right. And then it seems like my younger friends and younger generations, you go the other direction, you're like, no, dude, I'm free. I'm free. Like, no, you can't judge me. Like, I can do whatever I drink, sexual morality, does not matter. Why? Because I'm free. The gospel saves me, Vince. Oh, Paul addresses that too. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. So as the people of God, as the church, we take upon this beauty of the gospel story that it is in faith alone, in Christ alone, but that means some things for those who believe and have a changed heart that we seek to respond to the gospel in holiness as the world watches. And so it's not, it's not just... Freedom-based licentiousness. No, no, no. That's, that's not allowed either. Okay. Let's land with this last passage. It's a bit longer, so hang with me as we wrap up. 
verse 22, that it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders, with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among their brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who have the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain... <clears throat> From what has been sacrificed. Did we ever read this? No, we didn't. This is different. Oh, that's my bad. They're just repeating it. I got confused. Again, that's on the Lord. Um, <laughs> that you abstain from what you have been sacrificed to idols and from blood and for what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they were down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay, so they send this letter. But everything we just talked about, okay? And, and, and these Gentile believers receive this letter. Now, I want just painting quickly the context of what had happened right before they left. Now, I don't know all of your stories, but I, but I imagine that if when you gave your life to Christ and you believed wholeheartedly that he was Lord and Savior and you confessed and you repented and you believed and all that, and then you came to church, what it would have been like if you showed up here and everyone before you said, you're not really a Christian because you didn't do this yet, okay? You're, so this is the turmoil that exists in the church at Antioch in the moment is that all of these Gentile converts who had come in joy, running to the truth of the gospel, were now being told by the, by the seasoned believers that they weren't actually part of the fold. So this is the turmoil and the brokenness. And so when this letter arrives, and you imagine, right, Silas reading before the crowd, hey, let's just read what James and the guys had to say. And they read it out. Can you just imagine the burden lifted by those in the room? All right. Like, I am, I am his. My, my experience isn't totally flawed. I'm not absolutely crazy. My belief is enough. The gospel is true. And so now let me go and continue to do what I see happening in my community, following the other Christians unto mission. And imagine just that, that like relief and the joy that comes upon it. It says that they rejoice and they celebrate. And I think it's they do that in the returning of a belief that they are indeed one in union with God again. I also think they're probably rejoicing because, again, they have now unity, not just vertically, but horizontally with the people. Unity, peace, return to the church in Antioch, which up to this point has been a rock star church. Okay. I think they rejoice because they understand now that they can go and continue to, to exist in the communities that they're called to, the communities that God has placed them in to be a witness because the honest, the honest reality is that if they were called to go and then participate in all the Jewish Old Testament ceremonial law, it would have pulled them from their communities, ostracized their friends and family, and never allowed for an engagement where the gospel could have been heard at home. But no, they were free now to go back, live your life, 
Do your thing. Do it underneath the lordship and banner of Jesus and this gospel truth and be my witnesses, abstaining and, and adhering to a biblical morality, but never causing your brother to stumble. Like this was now the calling now of the whole church unified in Antioch, and what a beautiful thing. The beauty of the gospel for us, and Paul gives us two wonderful verses in Philippians 3.3. 3. It says, For we are their circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So it, it's no longer about the, the, the action. It's about God saying, no, you are now the circumcision. You are the sign to the world that the gospel is real. Because our faith is based in the work of the Spirit, not in the work of the self. I love that. Circumcision used to be the sign to the world that they belong to God. Now, you here, hear me, if you're here and you're a Christian, you are a sign to the world that the gospel is true. Now, that is a heavy calling, but one with which God, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, because of justification and faith alone in Christ alone, we're worthy of. These, these are the beauty, beautiful things that we get to celebrate this morning as we get called as the church. I had a couple take-home points that I wanted to give you that I'm actually going to pocket for right now. We're going to come back to them, I think, another week. And all I want us to do is now as we, as we close, right before I pray, I just want to encourage you guys as we take this time of reflection and as you go, I want you to, if, if you find yourselves more aligned and kind of with the Gentile in the story, right? Where, where you're just like, hey, I, I, I live in such a way that the grace is good, but I'm free to do what I want, right? I, I want you to really analyze if you think that's true. And, and, and if there be some things in there that, that, that would need repentance, to, to say, well, you know what? No, I do believe it's, it's faith alone and Christ alone, but man, there are some things where I'm not, I'm taking advantage of that sucker. I'd love for you to pray, repent of that, consider that. Now, now if you're on the other end and you, you tend to kind of more live more like the Jew, the Jew in our story, and I would encourage you to just let go of the barriers that you've created for yourself between you and God. Like, does, you know, when you mess up, does God still love me? Yes, if you're his. The barriers you create for those around you, man, how would you begin to knock those walls down as well? Because reality is in this room today, like the, the vision, the goal, the encouragement is not to be Jews or Gentiles, it's to be Christians. It's to be people who follow Jesus, follow Christ and what he's, he's given us through the word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace this morning. We ask, God, that you would bless us, that you'd shape us, that you'd mold us. God, then all the ways we would seek to just add some stuff, because I think it just makes us feel better. That we could not feel like we owe you or whatever, just some of that pride and, and things that would raise up in us, God. We pray that you would expose us. God, you lead us towards consistent repentance and your presence and your beauty and a deeper understanding, God, of who you are. God, we love you. We thank you for your word that speaks truth. It's always profound because it's your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.